Welcome to the Kingdom Life Podcast from All Saints Community Church. This is where we talk about all things related to life with God in His Kingdom. My name is Connie Willems, and today I'm talking with Brock Bingaman. Hi. Welcome. Hi. (laughs) Today we are going to talk about tongues, and we're going to get to hear a little bit about Brock's journey with tongues. You probably know him as the lead pastor of All Saints Community Church. But this came about because we decided to land in Acts for a sermon series. And a couple weeks ago, we were in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the people, and that launched a huge discussion about tongues. Hmm. That's right. And we said there's more to be said, and there's more to talk about that we don't have space to do on Sunday, so we're going to do it this way. So It's great. It's going to be fun. Yeah, glad to be here. So one of the things we talk about that I'm not sure how much we've said to people is we want to be both rooted and empowered. Could you talk about how those two things fit together? Yeah, I think as a vineyard church, we want both of those things. We want to be rooted first and foremost in the Bible, the scriptures. And there's always more to learn, always more to practice. So we want those roots sinking deep, deep, deep. And along with that, the church's tradition too. So church history, it's scripture, but church history, the tradition, the practices of the church, all of that leads to just an incredibly rich root system that we're committed to that unfortunately sometimes isn't really tapped as Mm. Protestant churches. So we want to pay careful attention to that. We want to be empowered as well. Because what you find is when you sink down into those roots, it involves practice. Hmm. So we don't just study theology. We don't just study the Bible and church history and these things. We practice them. And so that's something that we're really grateful for with being affiliated with a vineyard is you study, you read, but then you do it and you expect the Holy Spirit to empower you to do what you're reading in the Bible. There is so much here, and we aren't going to be able to touch on much of it. So I would say a good introduction is the sermon from a couple weeks ago, and we can put a link of that in the show notes. But I also want to hear a little bit about what your personal experience is with tongues. I know you're in your 50s now, but this goes back a long way for you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. When did you start speaking in tongues? Well, to be honest, we were talking this morning, trying to look back through the cobwebs. And so I got just radically saved at 17. So what is that? 34 years ago. Okay. And I began to read the Bible and expect what I was reading to happen around me. And so I began to ask my parents questions, you know, I would read various things about worship and spiritual gifts and, and say, when's this going to happen in our church? Why, why so aren't we doing So you were in a church this? at the time? Yes, yeah, in a church, okay. wonderful Bible-believing church, but on our way into some more renewal-oriented churches like the Vineyard, where Bible study was hugely important, but Bible practice and praying for the sick and doing the works of Jesus was also part of it. So I began to read like a hungry man, the writings of Paul, and I came across tongues. And I I cannot remember that moment 
when it happened. But I remember shortly after that it was like I was speaking baby talk. Hmm. And did you know other people who were speaking in tongues at the time? Well, for one, it was something that we didn't do okay. in our church circles. And so it was actually, it wasn't just don't practice it, but be very suspicious mm. of it. So actually have some anger if you hear other people talking about it. And I had some very close charismatic friends who spoke in tongues, and I just was highly suspicious. Mm. What's interesting, I'm just remembering, I had a Pentecostal charismatic grandmother mm. who lived in prayer. And so even as a young man, I would hear her saying, uh, you know, praying, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God, These, guys, but then speaking in tongues. So I grew up around it. So you'd heard it before? I had heard it before. Okay. Oh, yes. And then her prayer group that would come over would, you know, go go to work and all be speaking mm-hmm. in tongues, and they just lived in intercession. It was and powerful. Do you remember what you thought of it at the time? I think I was so young that mm-hmm. I just thought it was my grandma was cool and that she was connected to God, but I, I wasn't old enough to really form theological opinions right. around that. It was so just it was a, grandma. Right. But it was later that some of the groups that my parents were involved in and my family that were very suspicious of tongue speaking. But I, I did. I began to speak in tongues. And then when I went off to college, I was part of Jack Taylor's church in Fort Worth, the Anchor Church. So it was a great place to be, a lot of Baptists who experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and were practicing the gifts. It's a great context. So I think really there, I began to practice it regularly in my own prayer time and Bible reading. Now, when you say you began to practice it, mm-hmm. we use that word in a couple different ways. One of them is we're just, I did it, or mm-hmm. the other is I practiced it like I'd practice the piano or football or something. Which way are you talking out there? <laughs> You're probably saying good question. Yeah, good question. Probably both. Hmm. I mean, if for some reason we take tongues and prophecy, and we'll get to this, but they're related intrinsically in 1 Corinthians 14. Tongues and prophecy go together. And for some reason we take those two gifts and extract them from the other seven plus, and we think there's something unusual about them. You can't grow in it. You can't practice it. You can't exercise it. But we do with leadership and teaching and service and all of those other gifts. We practice them and get better, right? You don't tell someone who has a gift of teaching, you need to be good overnight. Right. And we expect you to just teach accurately and know the Bible. And so we're going to let you start doing that on Sunday morning. Because we see you have the gift of teaching, so now you're perfect at it. That's right. You're yeah. great. You knock it out of the park every time. It's clear. It's So the same with tongue speaking. So you're have... really saying that if somebody gets started with the gift of tongues, just go ahead and practice it the way I would practicing a musical instrument or practicing a gift like teaching. That's right. Matter of fact, I was listening to this again this morning because I encourage people to with fresh eyes and fresh ears, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I was listening to it this morning. And Paul actually uses those analogies of musical instruments. Hmm. So he talks about trumpets and these kinds of things. So maybe he's even suggesting that 
tongue speaking could perhaps be like learning to use an instrument well. So then let me ask this, because I think my connotation of the gift of tongues when I wasn't around it and wasn't familiar with it was that it was some kind of uh, out of myself experience that just would come on somebody and they would just have this urge and begin saying stuff that would kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. But you, that's not what you're talking, what you, the kind of thing you're describing. Right. It's interesting you raise that though, because New Testament commentators will, will look at Paul's letters and some of the more liberal commentators will call the tongue speaking that he's addressing ecstatic speech. Is that what I just described? Yeah, what you okay. just described, which comes really kind of from the model of those oracles in the ancient world. So you would have people, and they would oftentimes build a temple or a shrine around them, and they would have these ecstatic experiences and speak inspired speech. And it was kind of a babbling tongues-like mm-hmm. speech that they just were kind of out of themselves. That's right. They would be possessed okay. by the deity and speak. And so Paul is countering that. So from the beginning in First Corinthians, he's saying, you've been involved in some of the temple worship and these kinds of things, but what we're doing in the church is different. The Holy Spirit inspires you and gives you this gift, this grace, and it enriches, first and foremost, your prayer life with God. When you do it, you can never say, Jesus is cursed. You only say, Jesus is Lord. So it creates kind of a different context. Do you see that? It's, so he's saying the Spirit of God will come on believers, and really the whole tone of everything is you are exclaiming the Lordship of Jesus, and at the same time, there's a sense of control. You don't lose control. The mm. spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And let all of this tongue-speaking prophecy be done in order. And decently. And decently. Which right. probably assumes that it wasn't being done that way. So he's correcting something. He's giving them a, a model, mm. an apostolic model. They may have had a, a model from the oracle at Delphi, you know. Yeah. And so he's saying, nah, that's not... That's actually a counterfeit. This is the way that Christ is wanting us to do it in his church. I think that thing that you just said is really important, that there is the genuine thing that we're experiencing Mm -hmm. and the stuff that we're reacting against is the counterfeit, not the real thing. That's right. And the fear, you know, Wayne Grudem, by the way, I would recommend Wayne Grudem's chapter Um, in his Systematic Theology chapter, what is that, 53? He addresses this, and it's fantastic. We've got copies of this, actually, that we're making available on our resource center, and I think we're going to post it. So I'd recommend Grudem. I would also recommend Sam Storm's book called The Language of Heaven, Crucial Questions About Speaking in Tongues. And then thirdly, Gordon Fee's book, God's Empowering Presence, The Holy Spirit and the Letters of Paul. So those are three really helpful resources. I would start with Grudem. And 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. You got it. Bible first, and then these are theologians and commentators. So what was it you? Oh, that is a really good question. Where were we? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the question of what's the counterfeit and what's the real? And Paul was saying... 
hey, this is the real deal, and what you've experienced in that pagan temple, that's not the pattern. That's right. Great. And for some reason, a lot of the church, and it's not just Protestants, you know, if you remember, we were reading um, in the Orthodox way, one yeah. of my favorite books, one of, you know, along with the Bible, and there's just a suspicion in there of speaking in tongues, those Pentecostals and Charismatics, and you find it in the different traditions in the church. So it's unfortunate because Paul is clear. He says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So yeah. the answer, if it's been abused, if people are doing it in strange ways, or you have 30 people together, like it was at Corinth, large numbers, speaking over each other, and you know, people would come in and say, you guys are crazy. The answer is not to turn the spigot off. The answer is to practice it according to the apostle's teaching, which he received from the Lord. And the church does not pay attention to that. They would rather turn the spigot off and forbid speaking in tongues because it's messy. It is messy. I, That's right. The picture that comes to mind is I'm not somebody who really likes cans of worms opened mm-hmm. everywhere with all kind of stuff going around. I don't, I don't even want to see the potential damage that could happen to people. I don't want to tap into negative stuff they've experienced before. And yet I feel like I'm standing here with a can opener in my hands (laughs) because how can we say to the Holy Spirit, we want you, but we don't want this that you do. How can I do that? It's a great question to ask the Lord because a lot of the church has done that very thing. Yeah. So I think it's heartbreaking and it limits the church. I mean, you're basically saying, we'll take these weapons, these gifts, but not these. We need all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we need the fullness of the Spirit flowing through all the churches, all denominations, but we're immature. Why did you call it a weapon? How would tongues be a weapon? Pausing here to think through that. When Paul is talking about tongues. There's something mysterious about it. He talks about in your spirit, you're speaking mysteries directly to God. Um, It empowers and enhances prayer and worship. And we know that the scriptures show us prayer and worship are spiritual weapons. Mm. So even when he says in Ephesians 6, you know, pray in the spirit at all times. And Jude talks about it, that short letter as well. So there's something about it when we're praying effectively, we're focused on God, we're worshiping, we're caught up in that. It pushes the enemy back. It pushes darkness back. That's why in the Old Testament, who was in front of the armies? The worshipers. Yeah. So now it's spiritual battle that we're engaged in, not physical battle. So I think tongue speaking as a tool of worship and prayer and prophecy that becomes a weapon. Have you experienced it? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I would say this, what, 34, 35 years of practicing it, I've still got a whole lot to learn. Yeah. I mean, I read things in the Bible. I read theologians on it. I've got a lot to learn. But I would say that there is something, um, this is essential for me. Now, you said 34-ish, 34, 35 years yeah. um, of practicing it. Mm-hmm. 
Has it been kind of a continual practice all that time since age 17? Yeah, of course, we walk through seasons. And, and I mentioned to you earlier that it's like you're given a few words, typically, a few little mm. syllables, and you have to practice that. You know, it's like sitting there and reading Dr. Seuss and learning those little words. And the more you practice it, it's like baby talk. And the Lord expands your spiritual tongue-speaking vocabulary. So you might start out with something that literally does sound to you like baby talk. Baby talk. I would imagine, and this has happened to me, that people look at that and go, oh, this is just babble. It can't be the real thing. That's right. That's right. And we might shut it down because of that. Well, certainly. And if we Mm. don't create space for people to learn how to use it, and that's often what I've seen is people get just a few words, a few syllables. And I remember when I would first practice it, it was embarrassing. Hmm. I would blush a little bit. I practiced alone, but I would even talk to God about it. Like, this sure is odd. It, and I would hear on occasion stories of someone, you know, this Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would just start flowing in it. And it was like a geyser. And that happens too. God can do however he wants. But I often hear people kind of easing into it. And then the more they practice, month after month, year after year, it expands into something. And that's what happened for you? That's what happened for me. Do you remember kind of like a point where the expansion was more in a full, a more full place? I think what happened along the way is thank God for teachers. So I do remember Jack Taylor and that group in Fort Worth, my first year of college, and they were teaching on it, they were encouraging it. You you might even hear it on occasion with an interpretation, but then I encountered Mike Bickle, and Mike Bickle was, as we know, just a flamethrower. And if he's talking about tongues, then by the end of his talking about it, you want to practice it. So he would challenge young people. He'd be speaking and he would say, I encourage you to try this for 30 minutes a day and then expand it to an hour a day. So he was constantly pushing people. And then he pointed out the verse where Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He says that to the church at Corinth. Is that exaggeration? Is it hyperbole? Or is he literally saying, I'm praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Spirit all through the day? I think it's that. I think it's the latter. I think that the Apostle Paul spoke in tongues a lot, all through the day, while he was busy with his hands and tent making and traveling and serving the church. He was praying in the Holy Spirit. Do you think that's what he meant when he said, pray continually? That's a great question. Um, If Paul is saying, pray continually, I would guess that there's all kinds of modes of prayer that we should utilize. So first and foremost, the meditation on Scripture, meditation on the Bible, having what we call arrow prayers, those little pieces of Scripture to pray to the Lord. You know, Psalm 119, 97, I love your law. It's mm-hmm. my meditation all the day. Yeah. So we have that moving around in our minds and hearts, and we're using that to turn to the Lord. And the Jesus prayer as well, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Ten words coming out of Luke 18. It's a biblical arrow prayer, but then tongue speaking. So I'm guessing that Paul would utilize a number of modes of prayer. Does that make sense? A combination of prayers. Plus, he comes out of the Jewish tradition where you do have prayers that you're saying 
all day, every day. That's right. Set times to pray, set scripture, a liturgy of prayer, but then spontaneous prayer filling in the gaps. And the point is to pray continually so that you're in communion with God. So you began to move more into it as you saw the influence of like a Jack Taylor and a Mike Bickle. Was there ever a time when tongues waned or took the background for you? It's tough to always look back. Isn't, isn't it, it though? Yeah. Especially with something like that. Yeah. I, I have talked about our seven-year desert time. Amanda and I were in seven years of the desert, and that was when I was teaching and in an academic context. So I, I would guess that it was not at the forefront, and I wasn't practicing it each day. What was interesting, though, Connie, is... I would find myself praying in tongues, even in pain, disappointment, anger with God, tongues would come out. Was it the kind of thing where you were thinking, I should pray in tongues now, but what you just said was it would come out. There was something welling up in you? Mm -hmm. Probably both. Hmm. And we were talking about Romans 8. People grapple with that. Is he talking about tongue speaking there, you know, it's the Holy Spirit helping the Christian to pray and it's groaning inwardly. And I think the point is the Holy Spirit is helping someone pray. So I found during times of pain, the Holy Spirit, even without me reaching out, was like drawing prayer out of me and in pain. I'm not over-spiritualizing and like it was kind of a saintly activity. It was just years and years and years of practicing it. It was a weapon that the Lord was even using when I was in pretty pitiful condition at times. I wonder if that was helping keep your soul alive when your mind couldn't go there. Yeah, that's a great point because that's what Paul says, Mm -hmm. right? When you're praying in tongues, your mind doesn't turn off. That's oftentimes a criticism of charismatics, Pentecostals, tongue speaker. Oh, you just shut your brain off. You know, you walk into the church and at the door you turn. That's exact. That's not. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about something when you pray in your spirit. You're praying with tongues that it transcends the mind. So he encourages the church to do both: to pray with the mind, to pray with the spirit, to speak with the mind, to speak words and to speak in tongues spiritually. So it's not an either or, it's both and. Have you ever grappled with that? Like as you're speaking in tongues, you're just your mind going, what on earth am I doing? Oh, all the time. Hmm. All the time. Oh yeah, it's not. And I would say the majority of the time you may not be feeling unction or feel like, man, I just sense the anointing. Sometimes that's the case, but a lot of times you're speaking in tongues to grow in it. And I've been... I practice this, Holy Spirit, pray through me. You are the spirit of prayer and you can guide me. So would you pray through me, teach me how to trust you, to follow your lead, and I'm going to let you, you know, as you use this gift, pray. And then I join that with the Jesus prayer, which a friend of mine, we were at the Society of Vineyard Scholars meeting and we were talking about the Jesus prayer and other ancient practices. And he said, have you ever paired the Jesus prayer with tongue speaking? Glossolalia, which is what the words mean. Glossa, tongue, and lalias, 
speaking. And, and those are the Greek words yeah, that Greek you would words. see in the New Testament. Okay. You got it. So he, he said, have you ever paired those two? And I said, I'm going to after this meeting. What does I'm it gonna... mean to pair the two? I think it would literally mean saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Sitting for a moment, praying that through the day. A great time to do this is in the car or while you're doing some task. You're, you're walking, you're going from one place to another. Pray the Jesus prayer. And then after that, a moment of quiet. Pray in tongues, a little burst mm. of tongues, and then come back to the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And then going back to tongues and kind of oscillating between those two. And I found it to be really rich. Also, a scripture verse. You know, take a scripture verse, pray in the Spirit at all times. Holy Spirit, help me do that. And then pray in tongues. It sounds like that practice would take your interior life and point it toward God. And at first, when I was listening to you say that, I was like, oh, that sounds hard. Like, mm. do I really want to be that spiritual? Do I really want to go there? And then I, my next thought was, well, Connie, what are your thoughts going to oscillate back and forth between if you don't go there? Because left to myself, the constant internal dialogue that goes on and the oscillation <laughs> of my soul and my thoughts, they're not going to take me to life-giving places usually. No. You have talked about the, what is it, the hamster wheel? Yeah, our thoughts, like a little brain gets on a hamster wheel and just goes. and Spins. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where we go naturally, most of us. So if we have the Jesus prayer, an arrow prayer from Scripture, and we have tongue speaking, those are three avenues and I think that's what Paul is talking about, First Thessalonians five seventeen. Mm-hmm. that section is, you can pray at all times. And there are different, if you search the scriptures for ways to pray, give yourself to it. You mentioned it, it is work. It's work. So this doesn't just come naturally, just like getting in shape physically. You don't, all of a sudden, you're not able to run four or five miles. You have to start by... If you do the couch to 5K. That's right. That's right. And you got to get up and maybe walk a mile and then get to where you can run a mile. The same with tongue speaking. It's work. Now, it's empowered by the grace of God. It's a gift that's activated by God for the common good, which is something else we should probably talk about. Paul says that that gift is for the common good. What do you think he means by that? Oh, that's a great question. And that's where we're in 1 Corinthians 14, where 12 he says and that? 14. 12 and that's 14. 12. Yeah, it's 12. So he's talking about it being used in a church service mm-hmm. or a church gathering, whatever they would have had in Corinthians, and saying, this is for the common good. So it's not only to be done privately, but it opens up something publicly. This is in the moment yeah. thinking that I'm doing here. One thing it does is it truly does invite the Holy Spirit to participate and lead the service. Hmm. So there is a leadership role that we're entrusting to the Holy Spirit in doing this. And if we're doing it the way Paul says, where there's tongues and interpretation, then the Holy Spirit gets to speak in a direct way 
in a service that wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And how could the Holy Spirit speaking not be for the common good of the body of Christ? That the Spirit is building up and creating and forming Christ in us. Yeah. It's true. That's good. That's I all put I you got. On the spot. I put you on the spot. <laughs> well, and even as you're saying that, the Spirit brings the Word. Yeah. So for some reason, we divide. Are you Word people, Scripture people, Bible people, or Spirit people? The Spirit brought the Word. Yeah. The Spirit inspired Scripture, the very words of God. So the Spirit brings the gifts, and the Spirit brings the Word in tongues, and then the interpretation. Now, of course... Scripture is in an absolute unique class. You're not equating. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Just I mean, need to be just, careful there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scripture, and then we're talking about the in-the-moment words of God that, that come that are meant to encourage and build up the church. He's obviously addressing something. They were doing things that they were losing sight of the common good. So yeah. it seemed that they were so ardent and excited about speaking in tongues that they were all rushing and doing it over one another mm-hmm. and same with prophecy. So he's saying, do it for the common good. What's you know, good for others? It's interesting because 1 Corinthians 13 is wedged in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And so the question then becomes, how does our speaking in tongues become a me, for me, a way of loving the person who's next to me? Yeah. It must be possible or Paul wouldn't put the two of them together like yeah. that. Cuts out a lot of nonsense too, doesn't yeah. it? Because it, if it's really about you and you illustrating the beauty of your tongue speaking and the depth of your spirituality, then that's off track. And he even restricts, what's he say, one, two, or three people doing it? So there is an order, a rhyme, and a reason to the way that it's done. So God, God's a God of peace and order, so you don't want people coming in thinking you're crazy. Could we take a minute and talk about how it's connected to prophecy? Yeah. Is it? The same thing, or is it like when I would speak in tongues, would that be perhaps a prophetic word for the congregation? Well, what do you think? (laughs) You ask the question, you answer. Um, So I go back to this is a place of surrender to the sovereignty of God. We are not our own church. We are following our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And so... If we're opening up space for the Lord Jesus Christ to have this kind of direct portion with us, how, if we're opening up that space, why wouldn't the Holy Spirit then perhaps want to use it to speak to that particular congregation at that particular moment? Again, in a way that's not scripture for all congregations for all time, but just to say something to those people on that day. Yeah. Sounds good. That's yeah. why. Well, how would yeah. you answer that? I'm not sure. I just <laughs> I, I think what we see is Paul, while he's encouraging a church that's out of bounds, right? They're out of bounds yeah. with the practice of the gifts, and the answer is not to throw it out, but to practice it the way he says. You utilize the apostolic pattern. And so he's telling them, don't forbid speaking in tongues, speak in tongues, here's some explanation, you're communicating with God, it you might be speaking in the human tongues, tongues of 
of human beings like we see in Acts 2, or you might be even speaking the tongues of angels. That's deep. That's rich. But he's saying, do it. And it's this, uh, you're, you're directing that toward God. But it also becomes almost like a, uh, a seedbed from which the prophetic might mm. sprout. So you are praising God, worshiping through this God-given heavenly language, and then you are uttering praises and you are speaking. It, it's the testimony of Jesus too, which is the spirit of prophecy in Revelation 19.10. But if someone has the gift of interpretation, and you might as well, you might even practice this while you're speaking in tongues, say, Lord, give me the interpretation of that. So is that could, something you've done? I've done some, but not enough. I need do to do that more. Do you feel like you have prophetic words that flow out of a time of tongues? Most certainly. Okay. Most certainly. And somewhere along the way, I heard someone say that. You know, it's, and I even remember John Wimber talking about while engaging in the prayer model, praying for the sick, he would be praying in tongues quietly while asking God for words of knowledge, for healing or prophetic words. He was praying in tongues quietly. And he would even talk about it's almost like putting your antenna up. Mm. So it is a way of communing with God, looking to God, worshiping and praying, and then things emerge from that. I don't know if you can remember a time when that happened where you could describe what that was like for you. Man, it's probably the majority of times. So like the majority of times when you're asking God to speak, you might start with quietly or under your breath speaking in tongues. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So I've got an appointment with someone this afternoon. We're going to do some prayer. We'll, we'll both do that. We'll both be praying in tongues and then see, see where that leads. So yeah, it becomes this kind of pool from which you draw. Can we talk briefly about what our staff did? (laughs) Talk about blowing our minds. So this was the Sunday after we looked at Acts 2, and we ended up talking about tongues in staff meeting, and um, Wallace got out his spiritual cattle prod, (laughs) and he said, let's do it. Let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. Let's have somebody speak in tongues, and then let's ask God for an interpretation, and let's just put our toes in the water. And you were the person that got cattle prodded. And so he turned to you and said, Brock, speak in tongues. And that was kind of hard for you, right? Yeah, it's not a common practice. I want it to be. So I'm hoping that we kind of broke the ice and that that can be a regular practice with our staff. Because again, if we need to grow and mature in that gift, then we need to practice it together and become more... uh, accustomed to that. But you had to step out and say, just in the middle of a meeting, I'm just going to speak out loud in front of these people yeah. in tongues. Here like we elf. go. <laughs> Here I am. I'm singing. Um, and then Wallace said, keep going. Yeah. So I did it maybe, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds. And then he goes, keep going. Yeah. And then we sat and waited. And what do we have? Maybe five or six people with different angles interpretive angles on it. Yeah. We asked, does anybody have an interpretation? And the answer was yes. And it became richer as we heard from people. Man. But we also talked about um, 
A, how strange that was for us to do it as mm-hmm. a group, and it shouldn't be mm-hmm. um, to move from talking about it to practicing it. But then B, how we all kind of had a sense of spiritually shifting into a different gear as we invited the Holy Spirit among us in that way. I think that's the only way I can describe it. It was a sinking into a different place. And we got to experience some richness that we wouldn't have had if we didn't just step out and do it. Make space for that. Yeah. People talked about the presence of God, and I think we're just missing out if we don't do things like that. Make space for it like the early church did. Do it in order. And then a number of those as people were shifting into different gears, we had some people reference things from the Bible. We had people have uh, pictures and images. It was really rich, and there was n- nothing immature no. in all of that. It was deep and rich, wasn't it? You know what's really interesting is we're sitting here talking about this. I can feel myself having the reaction of, oh, no, we can't tell people what we did and encourage them to do this because what could happen, what weirdness could break out. So there is that hesitation even in me that is just so probably appropriately careful and inappropriately careful at the same time as if we can't trust the Holy Spirit to help us as little kids get started and then to walk us through maturing. Yeah. We even talked about that. Who's the better leader, the Holy Spirit or us? And is the Holy Spirit a better leader than the enemy is a deceiver? Where's our allegiance and Mm -hmm. where's our trust and confidence? Do we trust the Holy Spirit's leadership as the spirit of truth and the guide into all the truth and all that Jesus has said? Do we put more trust there or do we trust the deceptive abilities of Satan? And what is it? Is it Luke 11 where Jesus is addressing if you ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, is he going to give you a scorpion scorpion or a snake or no, no, no. The Father gives the Spirit. So we've got to trust God. Otherwise, we sit back in the gate and never launch out, biting our nails and filled with anxiety. That's not faith. Hmm. We have to take the risk and trust God the leadership of Jesus and his Holy Spirit among us and have the Bible open while while we're doing this. And the Lord is committed to building his church and showing us how to, to do this wisely and respectfully and, and in a way that people come and say, the Lord's in your midst. So tongue speaking and prophecy, when practiced properly, can lead to outsiders coming in and being uh, knocked to their knees. God's here. And that possibility, even though it does offend the mind and it is different and strange, I almost feel like we're living in a time where different and strange is all around us. Mm-hmm. Why not experience holiness and God's presence and goodness and joy? Um, why hold ourselves apart from that? Yeah. What why if- hold people apart from that? What if that's really our main way forward? Yeah. Is this, we we need all the gifts. We need the presence, the power, the anointing of God and sharing the gospel. We need all of that functioning in the church or we may not survive. Local churches don't survive. If it's left to, let's just have some great 
singing and worship and some good Bible teaching and that, I, I don't know. I don't know if that survives in the, the coming days. Those are wonderful things, right? But what we're yeah. talking about is a, an absolute dependence on the living presence of God among us doing those things and all of the gifts. So how does somebody get started? Well, I think depending on where you're coming from. So if this is new to you, um, I would encourage you to pray and ask for the gift because Paul says that, 1 Corinthians 14, desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. So desire it earnestly. Ask the Lord, say, Father, I would love the gift of tongues so that I can pray more effectively and worship more passionately. Would you give that gift to me? And then I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Read it multiple times, pray parts of it out loud, and then perhaps seek someone out that you know who speaks in tongues that you trust and have them talk to you about it and maybe even pray for you and with you. And I would encourage you to have them pray in tongues so you can hear it. There's Mm. something about it, hearing it modeled. And then you might even tag team. Like in that moment, you, you might find yourself having some things, some thoughts or some syllables and might find yourself speaking in tongues. So that would be for the starters, the beginners. Um, What would you say to people who have doubt and suspicion or maybe they've seen it abused? What would you tell them? I always think it's worth going to that place with God. God can hear all your doubts and suspicions and Sometimes God comes on us, he overwhelms us, he overturns it, but often he lets us say all the stuff Mm -hmm. and he meets us and walks us through it. Um, I think what I would say is do that, but do it honestly. I can tell in myself when I am leaning away from God in a position of skepticism and cynicism versus when I'm leaning into God and saying, I'm really willing to surrender these viewpoints to you and accept a different way of thinking about this, but I need help. And that's a really different position than me going, yeah, I'm okay. You're going to have to convince me. Yeah. And so I would say, do what it takes to move. If that's a default position, eh, if you convince me, maybe I'll think about it. Do what you need to do to move from that to, ah, I, Holy spirit, Jesus, father, I am open mm. to what you want to pour out, and I'm going to lay aside these ways of thinking. Help me find other ways of thinking about this. Sounds rich. I like that prayer, help me, too. Help me. Yeah. So you're talking about leaning into it is is key. As you're saying that, I've had to do this at different times. I've prayed with other people even recently who've repented. Because they've grieved the Holy Spirit and they've either signed something that says, I do not believe in speaking in tongues. I will not speak in tongues. They may have spoken things to other people. And so you would need to repent. And repentance is beautiful and wonderful, right? It's turning from those things into the mercy of God. It's getting in the waterfall of God's love and mercy and kindness and 
So some people need to repent. And I've had to do that at different times for things that I've thought or said or neglected. And I turn to the Lord and away from that. So I think probably quite a few American Christians have views or things that they've said that would require that turning from it. And turning toward it. To me, the fundamental position is, God, your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I confess that I have exalted my way of thinking about this over yours. Hmm. And I'm going to lay down this viewpoint and accept what you say instead. Why don't we end with maybe prayer for those two types or groups of people? And I think that's ask great. The Lord. Why don't you pray and then I'll pray too. Well, Holy Spirit, we had invited you to come and inhabit this conversation. And I would just say on behalf of myself and Brock and those listening to us, we yield ourselves to you. We yield our hearts, our minds, our belief systems, our mindsets. We yield our perceptions. And we say we want the entirety of who you are. And so in any places where we've had you at arm's length out of mistrust or past dysfunction, we just yield and we say we trust you more than we trust ourselves in the face of the dysfunction that we've seen. We yield that space to you. Father, we thank you for your gifts. As we yield ourselves to you, we thank you that when we ask for the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that that's what we're given, that you are good and gracious, the Father of lights who gives every good and perfect thing. So we ask for those listening that we would all turn to you, Father, hungry and thirsty for you and for your presence among us and for your good gifts. And we repent and turn from unhealthy ways of thinking and skepticism and doubt, and we embrace you and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and all your gifts. We say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. We receive your mercy. Yeah, and we eagerly desire what you want to pour out. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Connie. It was a fun conversation. Hope other people enjoyed it. So that's the end of this part of the episode of Kingdom Life. If you'd like to learn more about All Saints Community Church, you can go to our website, allsaintsokc.org, or you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC.